0: And now, here's the episode. Well, hello, everyone. Good to see you. Glad that you're here. My name is Aaron. If you're a guest here, I'd love for you to come up and say hello after the service. We'd love to meet you. I just got a couple announcements I'm going to go through here before we jump into the sermon. Uh, First of all, you may have said this on your way in, but on your way out, we would encourage you. To swing by the Isaiah House lemonade stand. We are going to sell you some lemonade that you probably don't need, but it's cool. It's, um, uh, it goes obviously to Isaiah House, uh, really important cause. So I encourage you to do that. And then also we're running, as a very special treat today. Uh, if you buy lemonade, you also get a free t-shirt. Um, also, if you don't buy lemonade, you can have a free t-shirt as well because we're getting rid of all the extra t-shirts we have upstairs as we are purging and preparing to move. The real challenge is, will you find something your size? Probably not. Mostly kids and youth. But if you find them, what fits you or someone you care about, by all means, take it with you. Uh, we're kind of kind of clearing things out because we're moving soon. Speaking of, I've got a quick building update for you this morning. I'm just going to Rip the band-aid, we pushed it back a week, okay? We've been saying, oh, maybe we can do it on the 6th where we have church online, open house on the 13th. I've been feeling probably a little bit of false confidence connected to that, and then, oh, we need to push it one week in order to make sure, uh, A, we don't kill our staff in the process, and and, and B, we we do it right. It's like, I think actually, technically, we could have done it, um, but giving one more week gives us the opportunity to make sure we do it right. So here's the schedule. We will not hold a public worship gathering on August 13th. We'll have church online um, that morning, and then we'll have an open house that evening at the new place, so you guys can come through and get acquainted with the place, check it out, and then we will worship at our new building on the 20th of August, 9, 15, and 11 a.m., invite your friends? No, really. I've heard of quite a few folks who are like, I'll invite friends when we move because there's nowhere for them to go. So um, you can invite them now. It's cool. But uh, for sure, invite your friends. It's going to be a lot of fun. Celebration coming up. So um, that's the deal. If you're wondering, why do we have to push it back? Did something break or fall through? It really didn't. Um, No big thing. More like a thousand tiny cuts situation where it's like, ah, okay, I think we've pushed beyond. But lots of new and exciting stuff going on. If you saw in the video, the facade has gone in, the entryway, that's going to be painted black. It's going to look really sharp with their logo on it. Parking lot, they started on that. Landscaping will happen after that. Um, We will get inspections and should have our certificate of occupancy uh, in two weeks. So at the end of this month, we should have that in hand. And then we sort of have unfettered access to the place so that we can get everything set up and all the finishes done and get ready to have church after that. To that end, um, we are at that stage going to need some skilled folks to come and help us out getting those sort of final steps finished and some of those details done. Now let me pause here and define what I mean by skilled folks, because that means different things to different people. Now look, you don't have to be like a superstar. We're not looking you don't have to license bonded, insured, et cetera, et cetera. But, like, if you fix stuff and it, like, usually works, I might be talking to you. Uh, if people call you when they need, some, need help making a thing work, um, and then they call you back later because that actually worked out when you came and helped, and then they call you again, then I'm probably talking to you. If you are not very good with your hands, but you have a wonderful attitude, we would like for you to stay home and intercede and pray. <laughs> For the people with some skills to go and carry things out uh, along the way. So um, if that's you um, and uh, you want to jump in and help, would you, and also one more thing. Also, if you're, if you're going, hey, wait, I might be that person. I think I can do, I can do some stuff. I don't want to brag, but I can do things. All right, if that's you um, and, and you're open to the reality that when you say, hey, I'll come help there's a good chance you'll be asked to do something you're like completely overqualified for and you're gonna have a good attitude about that, then you're definitely who we're looking for, okay? So I want you to consider whether or not that's you and if it is, then will you email me, Aaron at vineyardchurch.us right there, shoot me an email and I'll let you know some of the projects we're kind of wrapping up there at the end and see if there's a place where we can plug you in to help. Okay, that's that. Let me take a minute to pray once again and we'll jump right into uh, the sermon. King Jesus, we love you, we love you, we love you. Thank you for just the incredible ways you're moving in the life of our church, this upcoming move and just the generosity and service of so many people. God, thank you so much. We just pray your blessing. As we started praying last week, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would just fill that place, that you would create truly um, a temple over there a mile from here, God, or just Let your kingdom come and your will be done in that place, and your spirit fill that place. Change the air that is breathed, literally, in that space, God. Thank you for all that you have done and are doing. Uh, Now, Lord, as we look to your word, I just ask that we'd have ears to hear, and if you got something for us that we don't miss it. So, Lord, would you let your kingdom come and your will be done in this very room, even as it is in heaven. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. To remind you, we're working our way through the Book of Galatians. We're doing it in three big chunks: chapters one and two, chapters three and four, chapters five and six. Uh, we did chapters one and two a while back. A while back, a series called Varnished. We're doing uh, three and four now. A series called Liberated. We'll do five and six over in the new building when we when we get there. So um, we're working our way. This is part two of uh, Liberate. As Galatians three and four is inviting us into the real freedom that we have in Christ um, and what it means genuinely to be the children of God. A quick recap from last week. If you aren't here, you probably want to get that podcast, but just a a quick reminder, um, just to put it in the simplest possible equation, Jesus equals salvation, Period. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He's everything. Jesus is everything. Jesus is salvation. It's Jesus. But there's a group uh, in the churches in Galatia that are saying that math's not right. It's actually not just Jesus equals salvation. It's the law of Moses plus Jesus equals salvation. As we said last week, um, that's incorrect, Uh, that's putting a hat on a hat, if you remember that. If you remember from this payphone discussion, that's routing all of your cell phone calls through payphones for no apparent reason. It's not that payphones are bad, it's just silly to use them because there's a new era and we all have cell phones in our pockets now. We just have something better now. Um, The law was good, we have something better now. Jesus equals salvation, period. Now, I uh, think you may or may not know about me. I am a big uh, Memphis Grizzlies fan. Go Grizz. Not enough of you are Memphis Grizzly fans, in my opinion. If you are an NBA fan, I would just like to remind you that here in the great state of Tennessee, there is one NBA team, and that's the one you should be rooting for. So, uh, but that's another subject. I got a bone to pick, but we'll talk about it. Some of, some of you are sending me snarky text messages as we speak, I know. Uh, but I love the Grizz. I love watching the Grizz. They're absolutely incredible. They have the most exciting on-court player in the league, like Ja Morant on the court. You never know what he's going to do next. Off the court, you never know what he's going to do next. <laughs> but there's grace upon grace upon grace. So we, we uh, love the Grizz. Anyway, uh, this spring they were in the playoffs because they're awesome. And uh, the problem, this is a big issue for me, for reasons that make no sense to me, Uh, The Memphis Grizzlies, who play here in the great state of Tennessee, were put by the NBA into the Western Conference, which is ludicrous. I know they're in the West. What that means is their tip-offs for the games are often really late. And guys, I am so old and boring. I just want to go to bed early and get up early, and these late-night tip-offs are killing me, especially in the playoffs where the games matter so much and I care so much and they had a 10.30 tip-off for a game, and I was like, guys, it's like time to get up by the time that game's over. Are you kidding me? I can't watch that game, and so begrudgingly, I recorded the game. I'm going to record the game, and we're going to watch it tomorrow, and I'll just get up in the morning and do my job, and at the end of work, I will go and watch the game, and so I didn't want to have the scores ruined for me, so I was very careful, man. I like went off the grid that day, okay, I did not check the news. I didn't check my text messages, which is maybe a bit of a confession because maybe you had a crisis in your life and you needed your pastor. I didn't get your message because I was off the grid. I didn't want the game ruined for me. Also, I have lots of friends who text me and taunt me in the game. Sometimes they congratulate me. Always they're talking trash about the game, and so I didn't want that to ruin it for me. I didn't watch any text. I didn't read any text messages. I did not watch the news. I, I did not open my phone. I just got away. at one moment, that's where at the end of the day, I had a, a lapse. I forgot what I was doing. I picked up my phone. Out of sheer habit, I clicked on the ESPN app. While it was loading, I realized what I did. Don't worry. I, I didn't spoil it. In time, I panicked and just slung my phone. I threw it across the room. It's like, whoa. The phone was fine. It didn't mark the wall. It did. I made a mark in the wall. But it was Okay. And then I go home, and I set up, and I'm excited, and, and I'm done for the day, and I put out probably a sinful amount of food, and it is time now to watch the Grizz. I turn on the game, went to the recording, don't worry, I recorded it, and then I turned on the game, and I thought, whoa, 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 whoa. Something's, something's not right. Like, it's all, do I not put my contacts in? No, I got my contacts in. Why does it look so terrible? And then I realized that I recorded it in standard definition instead of high definition, that was not a big enough gasp. Guys, this is, a, this is a sad story. This is a tale of woe, okay? This is a tragedy. I started watching it. I was like, what is going on? Is this Tetris? I don't even, I can't, it doesn't, these little blobs, I can't see what's what. I was furious, guys. I was so mad. I was so mad and I'm not proud of this but I was like you know what it's not even worth it I turned it off got out my phone read the box score we lost and went to bed it was so frustrating I was like I can't I can't watch this and I know look I know that story makes me sound uh spoiled and pathetic and I am I'm both of those things all the way and you might go well Aaron you're always talking about MJ and he's the goat and all that stuff And you watch Michael Jordan play in standard definition, and that's true. I did, and I was absolutely enraptured. At one point, I was watching the playoffs. I was 16 years old. I saw Michael Jordan do something that seemed to be miraculous to me. I was so excited. In my big, gangly, uncoordinated body, I leapt in the air, put my head into the spinning ceiling (laughs) fan. It was on, on high. And I just collapsed on the ground, still celebrating, because Jordan did something amazing. So you go, you watched SDTV? Fine, just then, what's the deal? It's like, but then, I had never seen HD TV. Once you've seen HD, you, there's no going back. There's no going back. Before, when I watched standard TV, I thought, this is a wonderful, miraculous, miracle of modern science. And then I saw HD, and I looked back at HD, and I said, this is just garbage on the television. Because once you see, you can't go back. All right, now, when Jesus came, yes, it's a sermon, we're getting to it. When Jesus came, (laughs) he took life with God from standard definition to high def, guys, like full, stunning HD. It was an entirely different picture. And there's no going back, which is why the Apostle Paul starts off Galatians 3, we looked at this last week, saying, you foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you? You must be bewitched if after seeing it all in HD, you're going to go back to the grainy old school stuff, are you kidding me? And then as he said, as we saw last week, pretty insistently, guys, you're missing the point, you don't have to keep the law of Moses. Now, that raises a really big question. We addressed it last week. Let's do it again this week. Well, what then about the law of Moses? Like, I thought that was, like, from God. Is that supposed to be a bad thing, or is it somehow wrong now? The answer to that question is absolutely not. There is nothing wrong, as we said last week, there's nothing wrong with using a payphone today. It's just kind of silly when you have a cell phone in your pocket. It's a new era. We've upgraded. Okay, there's nothing evil about standard-definition television it's just nowhere near as, what, as good as what we have available to us now. The law gave us a picture of God's values. A picture. But it was not a perfect picture. It was just a shadow. Jesus was the form. The image we get of God's heart and his values, it was not the best possible picture. It was standard definition. It was, really, it was distorted. And we'll discuss this more in a couple of weeks But the law had accommodations in it, which are basically concessions that God made that just bent to the brokenness and the evil of man at that point in history. He's like, no, this isn't the perfect picture of God's heart. It had rules in it that were never, ever designed to last or be permanent. But when Jesus came, he was the perfect, ultimate, stunning, crystal clear HD picture of the heart of God. Here's what the author of Hebrews said about it. It's how he opened his letter, actually. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now, in these final days, he's spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance, and through the son, he created the universe. Now listen, the son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. Jesus is the ultimate HD picture of God's will, of God's, as we just read, character. He's the goal. He's the exemplar. That's the target. And our status before God is not based on any law. It's not based on the Torah. It's not based on our capacity to keep rules and keep our nose clean. It is based on alone our faith in that Jesus who is the ultimate example our faith in Jesus who justifies us who makes us righteous we are righted before God remember that from last week the idea of being knighted when you you kneel before a sovereign and then they declare you to be a knight which you were not before same idea when we as God's children kneel before the sovereign and surrender to him. He declares us to be righteous or to be righted, which we were not before. It was through that moment that we are given the righteousness of God. And then from that realization, just out of that, an overflow of the acceptance of that grace and that kindness and that beauty and that forgiveness and that love, from there we go, in turn... And happily live the way of Jesus because we're grateful. Because we're grateful. If we're running around trying to do our best and trying to follow the rules and trying to keep our nose clean and trying to check all the religious boxes because we're afraid of what God will do to us if we don't, how could that possibly be worship to him? Why would our father want begrudging submission from terrified people? That's not what he's after. He's after family, he's after relationship, he's after intimacy with you. If we want to live well for him, we don't do it out of guilt or shame or fear. Those are short-term motivators. It doesn't last. But we do it through gratitude. Gratitude is a long-term motivator. When we go, oh my goodness, the king of glory has died to rescue me. Oh, I want to live for him forever. I want every part of my life to glorify him. That's the mental shift we have to make away from. From fear-based obedience and into gratitude-fueled worship. And that's not less holy, it's more holy. And after we make that mental shift, then we have to make an emotional one as as well. Um, That's where Paul goes uh, next. So if you remember from last week, the arguments that Paul made primarily there in chapter 3... They were about legalities. They were about our status or our official standing before God. And so be it. Um, but this next sort of line of thinking from him um, is about the heart. This next line of thinking is about family. Okay? Um, but before we can do that, we'll, we'll get to Galatians 3.23 in just a minute. But uh, That's where we'll start. But before we can do that, we, we have to explain this idea of a, of a guardian. Paul's going to write about a guardian because we really don't have a modern equivalent like We have that word in our language. You have the idea of a guardian, what that might mean, or parental guardian, parental rights, or guardian ad litem, or guardians of the galaxy. We have the idea of guardian, but we don't have a modern equivalent of what is happening in Greco-Roman culture, which is what Paul's writing about. So let's explain that. In in wealthy families, again, this isn't, he's not writing to a Hebrew culture. He's writing to a Greco-Roman one. In wealthy families, a, a guardian would be assigned to a kid And it would usually just be to the heir. So I'll remind you, this is a a patriarchal society, so the inheritance would go primarily to the firstborn son. That son would have a family servant whose sole job was to keep that kid out of trouble. Their whole job, round the clock for years. Make sure that they got where they're supposed to go, that they did not end up where they were not supposed to be, because, again, primogeniture, patriarchal society, the, the family as a whole was all counting on the son who would get the inheritance to keep it all together, to not blow it, and then lead and serve the next generation well. It was all kind of riding on that. So a kid, again, would be assigned a guardian to make sure they didn't blow it before they became adults. I think this is a great idea, by the way. I want to get Bryce six of them. All right, it just seems like a great idea. He's a good kid, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, there's a scholar, I quote him a lot, N.T. Wright, you've heard me talk about him. Um, he said, really, this is most like our concept of a babysitter, except, again, it was an around the clock, years long assignment all the way through that kid's adolescence. Um, the kid literally didn't go anywhere without the guardian. And not surprisingly, the kid usually hated their guardian. (laughs) Like, this guy is the worst. They could not stand it. Okay. But when that kid was ready, they would get, this big moment, they would get their toga. All right. Again, Greco-Roman culture, togas. Uh, If you're picturing a college kid in bedsheets, it's the wrong picture. (laughs) A toga, it it was called the toga virilis Uh, There's about 20 meters worth of fabric. It's about 65 feet worth of fabric, kind of. It was a whole whole thing. And they would have their toga ceremony, which is kind of like a bar mitzvah, except cranked up quite a bit. Um, And this is a celebration that this child had become a man that was now ready to participate in adult life. And best part for the young man, finally, you could be rid of that stinking guardian. All right? And if you're wondering, yes, this is where we got the idea of a toga party, where that all came from, except we took something cool and made it awful, uh, where boys who shave wear sheets and go out and prove how much they still need a guardian and shouldn't do any of the things that they go and do. So we kind of took the idea and and flipped it inside out, but nevertheless. Now, Galatians chapter 3, verse 23 should make some sense now. Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law As our guardian, it's pretty clear, isn't it? So, Jesus came, changes everything. The idea of law as a babysitter, no longer necessary. Let's read. The next uh, four verses here. For you are all children of God, through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you're the true children of Abraham. You're his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. So here's the thing. Heads up, what we just read, those four verses, are literally some of the most significant words that have ever been penned in all of human history. They're a really big deal. What we're going to do is put a hold on those, and then we're going to come back in a couple of weeks and put a lot of focus just on those four verses. Um, but now we're going to keep going on to chapter four. This is, I have no idea it's an irrational chapter break. I don't know why it goes to chapter four. Those got added later, by the way. The verses and chapter breaks, those are not inspired. <laughs> the word of God is, those things aren't. Because Paul's still um, explaining the same ideas. He goes back to this idea of guardian. So again, we'll come back in a couple of weeks to the verses we just read, but let's Keep on this guardian thought. Uh, Chapter 4, think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children, they're not much better off than slaves until they grow up. Even though they actually own everything their father had, they still have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. Okay, so Paul's asking us to... Think about this a certain way, so let's honor that request. let's pause, let's think about it for a bit. He says that in a wealthy family again, Greco-Roman culture, a child isn't really that much different than a slave. Now I want to pause here. Uh, I want to clarify that the slavery in their society had almost had very little in common with the just uniquely atrocious and horrible form of chattel slavery that we had here in the United States. Um, Unfortunately, we have the distinction here of creating some of the most barbaric and horrific forms of slavery we've ever seen in the history of the world. Um, So what we picture by default as slavery is actually very different than the slavery that's being referenced in Scripture. It's still something that Paul wants rid of, and he gives a wonderful argument for it, at other places, but it's not an argument he's giving now. It's a reality that he's helping us understand something through. So instead, again, picture something more like a really dedicated family servant, um, one that was given respect and regard, but also was never really off the clock and wasn't entirely free or independent. Okay, So if we can, try to understand that. A child, even the heir in that home, was a lot like a servant in that home, or slave in that home, because children are, are kids. You can't let them do whatever they want to do. Um, they will not survive long, um, so they don't have freedom. They don't have total autonomy. Um, they go and do what they're told to go and do. Their time is not their own. Their choice is not their own, etc. They have, as we've said, they have a guardian with them every moment of the day to hold their hand, and he said that's a lot like being a servant, even when Technically, that kid owns everything. All right, now back to the text, verse 3. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children, we were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him. To buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. He's saying, guys, when Jesus came, remember when he came, he changed everything. Remember HD, you got your toga. You you got to drop the whole guardian thing. And your status was forever changed from slave to sin to child of God. And now, he says, you've been adopted into the family. And you should get used to this. We should all get used to this. God's going to treat you like an adult now and not like a child. So let's talk about this because he talks about adoption here. And we know what adoption is. Uh, But again, ancient Greco-Roman culture, they had a different understanding, a different approach uh, to the concept. People did not think of adoption um, or the reasons for adoption the same way that that we do in our context. Um, It was much more limited. It was primarily just for this purpose. Adoption was for when a very wealthy family didn't have, for whatever reason, they didn't have an heir to give the, the inheritance to. And socially, that was considered like a major failure. That was frowned upon because you didn't want to have stuff just for the sake of having lots of stuff. Really, the main reason uh, to have lots of stuff was so that you could pass on an inheritance and change the direction of your family. And so it was uh, frowned upon. It was considered a failure if you didn't have offspring to give that inheritance to. So get this, wealthy families, they would go out and just pick a kid. They had to make sure it was a kid who did not have an inheritance coming to them already, obviously. But they would find that child for the sole purpose of bringing them in, making them family, so that they could give them absolutely everything. That was the role. And these, these children, they were just, they were just chosen seemingly at random, like they didn't, they didn't have like a tournament to find the most worthy, they didn't do feats of strength or an IQ test or any of that stuff. None of it was earned. A child was just chosen and then given absolutely everything. And now, I'm just going to pause here to point out the obvious, I hope. That's what it is really to become a child of God. It's not earned. It's all gift. It's not by merit. It's all by faith. We're just chosen and given everything. Verse 6. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. I want to read that again. And just, just take it at its word. Just clear. I think the text, these words get really, uh, this verse gets misunderstood and strikes people as confusing. But I think we could just take it clause by clause here. Just take it for what it's saying. We're his children, because we're his children, God sends his spirit into our hearts, and the spirit in our heart prompts us to call out Abba, Father. So here Paul lets us know um, this adoption we're talking about, it's actually not just like the transactional adoption, not just a means and end, a means to an end, like we talked about with the Greco-Roman. Uh, understanding of this. That's where the Greco Roman understanding actually starts to break down and our modern understanding of adoption becomes more applicable. What he's, the thing is, God's not just looking for a place to put his stuff, God is truly looking for a family. And what he's revealing to us here in verse 6 is like this whole thing is like deeply and profoundly personal. When we're adopted, again, this is the picture. Paul writes this pretty clearly. God's spirit fills our heart. And God's spirit then causes our affection for the Lord, our intimacy with God to grow. And that, that spirit stirs up our desire for God so that we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba just means dad. Okay? So not the band or the whole Mamma Mia thing. Just, just, it, means, it means dad. This is really intimate, guys. This is personal is a family thing in the very best sense of the word. The Spirit of God softens our heart to realize we do not go and tremble before the king. Instead, we go to our dad. And, And that's a work of the Spirit in our hearts. And if you're thinking, I don't actually think of God that way very often, or perhaps not at all, then I would submit to you that most likely the Holy Spirit is actually working to do that in your heart. You just got to submit to that. I I want to be open. I want to be be ready to receive this gift from you where you soften my heart and I begin to see you as an approachable dad and and not just a king of glory, although he remains that as well. Are you allowing that to happen? Something to think about. Now, verse 7. He says this. Now, you're no longer a slave. You're God's own child. And since you're his child, God has made you his heir. And you think about how far reaching that is. Um, and what Paul is doing, he's asking us as clearly as possible why on earth would you be children of God? Why would you be heirs of literally everything that's good and then not live like that and not live in accordance with that? Why would you go back to a guardian? Why would you choose? To go back to being treated like a child, why would you choose to live as a slave when you've been set free? Uh, next week, actually, we're going to see how exasperated Paul is by all of this. He just cannot imagine for one second why someone would go back to SD when they've got HD available to them. But let's, let's honor the text again. Let's stop and think about what he's asking. i want to ask this of yourself. Why would this happen? Why would free people choose to put themselves under the law and follow unnecessary rules? First of all, let's just acknowledge, I think we can all see this and feel this, there's attention to all of this. The whole thing is slippery. It's just hard to hold on to the idea of salvation by faith alone. The idea that it's entirely a gift that I pledge my allegiance to the king and then I have made an heir to the king, to the throne of glory, that's that's hard to hold on to because it doesn't sound fair because it's not. (laughs) It's incredibly unfair in our advantage. So it's just hard to accept that we're accepted. It's hard to accept that we're accepted, especially when we all know full well that we haven't earned anywhere near what we've been given. So for a second, let's, just, let's go back to this Greco-Roman idea of adoption. Can you imagine that happening to you? Just being picked, seemingly, at random, just chosen, and given this incredible inheritance, and then you didn't give a thing, you didn't do a thing to deserve it, and it's so that you might have everything and then be the head of the household. It would be, don't you think, if you put yourself in those shoes, it would be tough to believe That you were really accepted and really loved just for who you are in that family. That'd that'd be tough. And and guys, that's actually, that's all Christians. So when Paul's so insistent, I can't believe you're not getting it. Okay, but he's not saying that it's actually easy to get. It's hard to accept that we're accepted. That we don't have to earn it on any level. We've been talking about. By contrast here, we've been talking about how placing our faith in Jesus um, is really about pledging our allegiance to him, right? We go to the king of glory, we bow our knee in total surrender, I'm entirely yours, I'll do however you lead, I'll go where you go, I'm subject to the king. Now that makes sense. That's easy enough for us to get our heads around like, well, yeah, that, that checks out. He's him and I'm just me, so yeah, I should do whatever he says, exactly, yes, king of glory bow my knee, yes, got it. That we would bow before the king of glory, live for him, yeah. But what Paul is teaching is that, yes, that's how it begins, and then, in turn, because of that subjection to the king, we are then accepted not just as subjects, but when we surrender in that way to Jesus He becomes our brother, and God becomes our dad. It's it's easy enough for us to accept that God would let us follow him as a subject, but him adopting us as a son or a daughter, it's a whole other thing. It's hard to accept. So if I'm thinking that way and then somebody comes along and tells me that I actually have to jump through a few hoops in order to earn at least a little bit of what I'm given, then I'm not inclined to disagree with that. Even that still seems too good to be true. The thing is, God doesn't actually, stay with me, he doesn't actually need your help for anything. And you you probably wouldn't argue with me on that, but let me put a finer point on that for you. He doesn't need your help in saving you either. Um, I remember when Bryce was really little, like one year old. One year old, little toddler, could barely stand for crying out loud. And uh, he was just sweet and cute. and He would do stuff. He always wanted to help. He just wanted to help out. It's like, you need help. I'm going to help you. I guess we looked pathetic. But. I, so he would just do stuff like I'd just be sitting, you know, with a laptop, doing some work, and then he would just come by and bring me my shoes and be like, I helped. And I'm like, cool, man, like I'm not going anywhere, and they don't match, one of those is actually your mom's shoes, but um, (laughs) thanks, man, that's really nice, like you just wanted to help. Uh, and he kind of had, he had that way about him, and and I, I would do this thing. I still do it now. Now it's starting to become real. Where I would just pretend to be a very very old man, and it would take me a long time to get up, and I would just grunt and oh, make this whole big production out of it. I'm always trying to entertain Sharon. I'm afraid she's going to stop liking me, so I'm always just <laughs> flirting and trying to entertain her. So I was I was doing that, and then Bryce, he was like 15 months old, just comes toddling over, probably in a big dirty diaper. And comes over and puts his hands on my leg, in the back of my leg, and just gives me a little push. (laughs) Like he's going to help me get up. He could barely stand, but he was going to help me get up. And could you imagine if in that moment I was like, oh yeah, he's going to help me. I'm going to relax. I'm going to lean on him and let him do the work. I might have killed him because I would have just crushed him instantly because he couldn't begin to help me up. He couldn't begin to move me forward. He couldn't help. He wanted to help but he couldn't help. Guys, that's kind of the picture that comes to my mind when I think about us trying to help God save us. Not to be me, but you being in the family is too important to be delegated to you. <laughs> He's got this. And listen closely, folks. God did not rescue you and make you his child so that he could put you in his debt. He did it so that he could put you in his family. Do you see the difference? Because it makes all the difference. All right, uh, getting close here, so the band can come on up, help us finish. A couple more ideas. God, in all of his glory, doesn't want subjects to do his bidding, we can't actually help. Okay, what he wants, what he's always wanted, is sons and daughters. And the thing is, once you get that, I know when, I, when when preachers talk like this, there are people going, oh, and a lot of pearl clutching and. And concerns because what about the rules and people are going to go off and do whatever they want. And let me just repeat it one more time. Once you understand that it is all gift and you embrace your freedom in Christ, you'll actually start to get some traction in living well for him because it's fueled by gratitude. And it's not fueled by fear. If you want to live well for Jesus, then receive the freedom that he offers. Out of that, you'll pursue him like never before. I want to remind you, our destiny is to reign alongside of Christ, our brother. That's not just getting in as a subject and trying to keep your nose clean. Let me read you a couple of verses, Romans 8, actually. Still Paul, but in a different place. Verse 29, follow this closely. For God knew his people in advance. He chose them to become, hear this, like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That's us. And having chosen them, He called them to come to Him. And having called them, He gave them right standing with Himself. Again, we are justified. We are given His righteousness. We are righted. He gave it to us. We didn't have it before, and now we do. He gave Him right standing with Himself. And having given them right standing, think of this, He gave them His glory. I'm I'm not just trying to rescue you from a bad place and then have someone to do my bidding moving forward. I never needed your help. I want family. And I'm going to give you my righteousness and then I'm going to give you my glory as well. As brothers and sisters of Christ we'll reign alongside of him forever. And he's asking, why would we turn again to slavery? Why? And the reason why I think is because even slavery is more than we deserve. And because that makes sense to us. If you're a church kid, you know the story of the prodigal son. If not, here's what happened. The kid loses his mind, does a bunch of horrible things, devastates his family in the process, and because of his selfishness, in no time he's ruined. And he ends up literally in a pigsty eating pig slop, and he thinks to himself, even the slaves at my father's house have like something to eat and a place to sleep. They got three hots and a cot, if nothing else. I'm going to go home. What's he think? He thinks what we think. I'm going to go home. I'm going to beg for mercy. And I'm going to ask to be a slave. Do you remember the father's response? He'll have none of it. A slave? Are you kidding me? You're a son. Kill the fatted calf. We're throwing a party. I'm restoring you to where you were before. We're celebrating. He's not looking for slaves. Why would he need that? So let's acknowledge it's hard to accept that we're accepted. To embrace the freedom that is ours. Because it's in in the end, guys, it's another message. But it's always fear that comes in and screws it up. Let's just get afraid. What if I'm not? What if I didn't? What if I can't? And we allow ourselves to receive and be overwhelmed by the love of God. Out of that, we actually can go and do some things for the Lord. Okay, so let's have Selah here. Let's do some accepting. I'll get us started. Jesus even the faith to believe you give to us. Everything is from you. So now, Lord, we ask you for the faith to believe so that we can accept just how good this thing is. And we can embrace that we're sons and daughters of the Most High God. That Jesus Christ was the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And we are those brothers and sisters. He's not just given us forgiveness, but He's given us His righteousness and even His glory. And we want to live into that freedom. And out of that, all the best things come. Help us to accept it, Lord.